Welcome to the Technory Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining me on today's show, Ryan Rist. He is the Director of Innovation at American Family Insurance. American Family Insurance is... Um I think it's one of the coolest insurance companies, and this is going to sound weird because it's an insurance company, and why am I saying it's a cool insurance company? I mean it. I am a total nerd when it comes to anything that's a market, marketplace play. I love it. I love I love the financial market. I love how Robinhood has disrupted the trading houses. I love how real estate players like Open Door and Second Avenue have completely flipped the way we manage REITs. And I love insurance companies that have figured out how to build a trustworthy brand and build a ton of cool products that they can spin in front of you or acquire them in the case of of General, um, which is American Family Owned and Shaq Diesel represented. Um, There's just something about the ability to recognize that if you acquire or you build something and you bring a ton of users on it, the game becomes a race to margin. And that's why financial services companies are interesting to me. There's so much money that if you can reach economies of scale, the amount of success you can have or failure you can have is quite literally dependent on how smart and how willing you are to push the boundaries and figure out an interesting way to create margin, whether that's through technology, which you know gets rid of old processes or makes more efficiency, or whether it's hiring better people or building a culture, or all three, which is the case of American Family. I spent a whole time here on this podcast with Ryan talking about not just how he handles innovation, but how American Family as an organization looks at it, and how they look at VC and investing, and how they look at their whole line of business. And how the CEO takes two slides and has our legacy. This is the 80-plus-year-old company and the startup, which is our future. How are those things going to play together? It's worthwhile conversation. That is to say the least. Before we, though, talk to Ryan, time to hit that startup inbox. If you would like me to read your question on the show, you just have to email us at hello at technori.com or DM me or technori at anything technori. Um, Probably a good time for me to plug the newsletter if you're not getting it, you probably should get it. It's awesome. And that's not just me saying that, even though my name is on it. I really actually open it and read my own and think, wow, what a great team we have. Skip Demo Day, says Chuck Finley. Well, I don't know about that. We'll see. After YC ended future Demo Day events, are pitch events in general gone, stale, waste of time, attracting eyes, investors to start? All right, listen. Technori was event pitch day. We were the startup showcase. We are the startup showcase. I moved the showcase event over to Saturday because I thought there was more value there because more people could listen to it and it's easier. It's not that the pitch demo day is is done. It's like Shark Tank. I don't watch it anymore because I've seen enough of them. They all sound the same now and it's just not the value. I think events, I think we've just hit event fatigue. I think it's just like, all right, let me get let me get this straight. You who are disrupting this same company, the same industry. I mean, I, I just think we've run out of like crazy ideas with the type of tech we have. It's I think blockchain is the next generation of new companies that are doing things that we can't even imagine, um, which is cool. Right now, five companies line up and tell you five minutes about their mission and how they got there. It's the same story. Oh, I saw a problem. I worked at this company. I disrupted my own thing. Blah 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 blah. Try to get an acquisition. Get rich quick. Meanwhile, wrapped around me is free hors d'oeuvres and booze and a bunch of freeloaders who are going to try to get my business card and sell me something. That is not really a great place for successful people to hang out because they end up becoming uh, 
a, a victim. They get rep, you know people just bird dogging the hell out of them. And so I think a lot of investors have shied away from it. And quite honestly, I mean, look around. It's a digital world. We communicate online. We communicate, you know, in in a in a small circle when it's out in public. And and online, we're you know on Twitter or whatever. So I don't. I just think that they're. It's like a combination of fatigue and need. And I just don't think that those two things exist as much as they used to in the past. So, yeah. I mean. Chuck Norrie hasn't hosted a showcase in like a year, and there's a reason. Uh, we host it on Saturdays, and you should listen. WGN Radio, AM 720, from 1 to 2, every Saturday. Every Saturday that there's not a Sox game. All right. Go beyond email marketing, true automation, by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months free. I actually use Active Campaign, the newsletter I was talking about. That's an Active Campaign product. I love it. You will love it, too. Now, my conversation with Ryan Rist, Director of Innovation at American Family Insurance. When you're talking about, so like insurance in general is like one of those things that in a couple of different cities slash states in this country, people listen and Wisconsin as a whole, but like Madison and Milwaukee seems to be a place that this is a conversation and uh, Chicago and in Boston. Huh. These are all conversation pieces where if you're like insure tech or you talk about insurance, people are like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> Other places in the world, they could care less. Right. But I, I, I always think it's interesting when you talk to companies, this is like a, fi- a, a financial services type of conversation. When you talk about innovation, there's like a couple of places, uh, a couple of industries, fintech, fintech, insurance, I would say manufacturing, but that I think still is spinning around in in the abyss, I think, um, where there's so much disruption potential, but also so much that has to get done right before you can disrupt to make it actually usable. And I, I look at, and tell me if I'm wrong here or what your viewpoint is on this, but I look at a lot of really young founders and startups on the, in, on the, on the insurance side who think that they are going to disrupt the hell out of the insurance model. And then they get to that, like right in front of that J curve and they go, Oh, that's why they spend so much money on these things that I'm think that I'm short circuiting. And then it just comes tumbling down. Talk to me about what it takes to be innovative in an, in a big insurance company, let alone any insurance company. A lot to talk about there. So let me start with, um, insurance is boring and I never thought I wanted to get into insurance, but I'm so glad I did because, um, Insurance is about data, and it's about predicting and pricing some uncertain future event. And look what's happening with artificial intelligence. Look what's happening with new data sources. So I'm hard to pick another industry. Oh, and by the way, insurance companies have been doing things for hundreds of years in the same way. And so... Um, you know, profits were fairly steady. Um, mortality tables are fairly steady. The business didn't need to change. And then all of a sudden, boom, about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, technology was at the point where it's ready to blow the doors off the business model. And so I think it's so exciting to be insurance now because of that, because of the wealth of opportunity and change is taking place. Um, so I agree with you. Like, it, 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 there's no other product that in, customers dislike so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the day to day, I get a bill, and every year the bill goes up, and I send money in, and I don't know where it goes, but I never use this product. That's the traditional insurance experience. Um, and then one day I need it, and my claim's denied for some reason. Yep. And so customers at an individual level think insurance stinks. Yep. At a macro level, think about what it does to the economy. 
small businesses wouldn't be able to transfer ownership without life insurance. We wouldn't have home ownership rates, what we do, that leads to new builders and jobs. And I mean, it's such a big it's part It's the safety of, nut that we walk on. It greases yeah. the skids to, the econ- to our economy, right? And so it, it's at a macro level, it's amazing. At a micro level, it stinks. And technology is coming, barreling down the door to change all of it. So super exciting to be in that world. For startups, I think that uh, we're going to disrupt and take over the world and, oh my God, this is really hard moment. I think it happens in every industry. I agree with that, but I, but the insurance to me is, is so like insurance, markets, so like the Robinhood apps, there is a... There are barriers to entry that aren't there in other places. And, and they aren't obvious. They look from afar, and these are smart people, some of which came from AmFam, <laughs> right. uh, who are brilliant people who have built a model that I think you're like, okay, okay, okay. and even though, and the smart ones will tell you, I'm not 100% sure. I'm like 70% sure that I'm onto something. There are barriers to entry in the insurance space, similar to fintech, that you don't see it until you see it, and then when you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, that was why that's done, because it just doesn't work any other way. Yeah, we'll ignore this regulation thing that yeah, people keep talking about. that's a great about. starting point. Um, we'll ignore the fact that capital requirements to get licensed as a carrier are real and they're significant. Um, the, the other real thing people don't get about insurance is consumers see insurance companies as the, the big, giant, raking in the dough. Insurance economics aren't that great. If you want to make money, there's lots of other businesses to get into. Besides it's like the insurance. restaurant industry. If you make ten so, percent, you're crushing it. If you make two or three percent on the business and the underwriting, the business of insurance, you're doing great. And then you make maybe five, six in the market. So, go create a software business. Go, go you know, there's yeah. so many other businesses with higher margin. So then, then when you get in as a startup to this business that's capital intensive, low margin, there's real barriers to entry. Yeah, I, I do think it's a little shock and awe. For some companies, but I also think there's going to be companies, startups, clear cover, yep. that that change the game because yeah. what they're building, they're using modern technology, new tools and techniques to build a spaceship that very few, you know, most carriers are dealing with a beat up airplane, and they're building a spaceship. So I think, yeah, it's going to be a long road. It's going to be hard, but um, Kyle's a smart guy. Kyle's a very smart guy. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think we'll have the, we'll, we'll take this in two pieces. For our wives, we'll start with the my disagreement on the micro is that I love markets, and I think insurance, similar to real estate, similar to prop tech and fintech and all these other things. I know that like the customers a lot of times don't like it, and they and it's a bad experience for some, and good experience, life saving experience for others. Um, the ability to have a business that has so much money poured into it, and, and then that's indisputable. There's your this number of people are going to spend this much money on on your insurance. So whether you you get them an AmFam or somebody else gets them is a different story. But it's your job fundamentally as a company as a team to figure out how to make that margin as fat as it possibly can be, and you have the ability to invest in technology to remove or cost you know make things cost less so that you get more margin or to be smarter about picking policies with people and approving policies that maybe don't have a great return on it to me, that is like the sexiest game <laughs> on the planet because it's it's these are facts. 
This is not open to interpretation. This is money, and this is a number of people, and this is a number of claims, and this is a percentage, and these are the things that I can do to reduce my cost, which gets me here, and if I move this money here, I can do this, and then I can build. I can go all day on that. And like to me, that's the part that I think is why the Bostons, the Wisconsins, the Chicagos have been attracted to this market, because I think we like those. It's like playing uh, Tetris in a way. Yeah, it's it's a smart person's game uh, is very smart when you get into the inner workings of how insurance works. Did you hear that, Jen? Did you hear that? (laughs) Only smart people can be involved in this kind of business. A couple of geniuses here talking about insurance. I think it's also an interesting alternative capital play, which one of the top five threats that insurance executives see is alternative capital coming in because it is uncorrelated to the markets. It is steady in some, some respects. So, yeah, there's so much pressure on the industry right now coming from alternative uh, capital markets, coming from startups trying to who were once really trying to just serve insurance carriers with yep. little bits. Well, they of all said no. The, the carriers all said "f you," and then they they didn't do business with them. And so then I was like, all right, well, well, you, that gets to your point around corporate innovation, yep. which I've been uh, you, you know, know a, a thing student about. of for a while. Yeah, it's hard when you've got in our case a 91 year old company that has legacy. And a lot of that legacy is really good, right? A lot of it's our value system, um, our relationships, our history in certain markets and things we've done for the communities. But some of it is is process and stuff that slows you down. Corporate innovation in general, I think, is really, really hard. Anytime you have an established business that has customers that need you to dedicate any amount of time to something that's disruptive, it, it's crazy. In fact, this is where we're, we're kind of at. It's trying to get the mix of helping the core business and also looking out on the horizon. It's so hard, corporate innovation. That's yeah. why very few companies reinvent themselves over the 50-year period, right? It's, it's so I, I, I built the first five, the first company that I built after grad school was in corporate innovation. I did stuff for Tribune Media, which is how this whole thing got born out of this, um, for Kraft, for Google, like, you know, manufacturing companies. You name the company in Chicago, I've somehow worked with them in this. And you're right. It's really difficult. And it's it's there's like there's a million problems, but like the, the biggest ones is having a process, an innovative process where we even know what we're doing. Are we investing seventy percent of our time into incremental changes to improvement? Are we investing twenty percent and we're we're sticking to twenty percent investing in acquired innovations and roll ups that we can bring on board, uh, which includes bringing on new talent to you know test and break things within our, our company? Are we spending ten percent of our funding and our time trying to come up with a with the model that should put a nail in our coffin and and i i am baffled i understand all the reasonings but i'm baffled when i talk to leaders of and i've had conversations with even the ceo of mcdonald's about this like if you could build a company that would would and should put you out of business why would you not do that why would you not try to build even if you kept it under the you know under the radar why would you not try to build something that you think undoubtedly if you are as competitive as you are undoubtedly is going to be built by somebody to try to take you down. You don't have to build it at scale. You don't have to, you know, maybe you do, maybe not. But like just being, just testing that. And then that's like the first thing, right? And then the, then you have to actually have the people in place and, and the practice and the process that you actually iterate and try to improve and, and, and set aside the budget for it. 
And then to your point, there's like the, the grand unveiling, which is like the customers. I can't use my customers as a test machine in an industry that's regulated. It doesn't work like that. So You'd you have to, to test yeah. in certain markets, right? And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's so easy to say, well, go experiment. It's really hard. Uh, when it's you, very something expensive. like insurance, when people's lives are, are on the line, when their house just burned <laughs> down, when you're dealing with, I mean, we come in at these moments of, um, just terrible moments in people's lives and we try to get them back on their feet, that's not a time to be experimenting, right? Correct. So, yeah, to your point, it's really hard. And, and I think like some companies, we talked to the chief innovation officer of uh, Red Cross, talking about literally like this is not the time to, to toy. Um, what he did or, or he talked about was um, investing in simulation. So they would look at it and be like, all right, if we were to do this this way, what would this have cost us versus what it actually did? So they're still running their usual line uh, and deploying their their resources and people across the world, but they run sort of a simulation on a small number of places, which very very rare do they have like a very serious problem. It's serious to you, the the you know the victim in this case, but it's not serious in the grand scheme of things. Um, and they try to run these simulations to try to identify if it's a place that they should should invest. And I, I just wonder with some of these companies and, and AmFam may or may not be any different. It's like what what is the the roadblock? I mean, everyone talks about champions, but like what is the roadblock that you find is like if I can get past this, we can do this. And it doesn't have to become a product. It just needs to like Im- improve your internal assets. Right. So I, I'll just tell you a little bit about our journey because it's been fascinating and we're lucky to have s- such great leadership at the top. And that's yep. when I kind of go back in time and mark our change. I mean, you go back 10 years, we were an 18 state small regional company. We were a laggard in every innovative category you want to mark. We were going backwards in households. We're going to almost double in size. Um, I mean, you look at what's happened in the last 10 years in American Family, it's been a 180. Yep. And I trace it back to leadership and willpower, we're going to do this, right? So I think um, what, and, and this happens at every company, the, the leadership says, we need to be more innovative. Let's create an innovation team. And so they Multidisciplinary. do Multidisciplinary. And it ends up being a lot of activity yep. and a lot of noise. And then people usually say, well, this isn't working. It's not driving results. Let's get rid of it. Or they evolve. And in our case, I think we evolved and we um, went from you know, a lot of activity to a, a phase of experimentation and investing where we started AmFam Ventures, yep. we acquired the general, and we started to Which scale. Which I love, by the way. Can it's I just been, tell you, yeah, I'm a huge it's been fan. great. What a great business. And, and that helped us launch Moonrise, which is here in Chicago, yep. which is trying to help put hardworking people uh, extra money in their pocket, which is an adjacency play for us. Um, but we started super smart again. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I I love it. Um, and so we started to experiment, figure out how to do that well. Um, which then moved to kind of where we're at today, where we've got a culture of innovation happening across the company. We have people in the business, um, driving things into the business. We have a team that's looking out in the future. That's either building companies like clear cover and moonrise that are investing in startups or acquiring businesses. And we've been on a a nice little run here with a few acquisitions. So It's not going to guarantee our success, but gosh, that journey, everybody goes through that journey. Um, and it, it, it takes different flavors because there's two parts of innovation. There's, and what every CEO wants is they want a culture of innovation. They want um, their business to be the best. And then they also want 
they look out in the world and say, there's so much change happening. I am panicked because I don't know what blockchain is. I don't know what deep learning is. I don't know what these things are coming at me. So how do we keep an eye on those things as well while we also transform the current? And often people try to do those together. And I think they're very different. And I think the, the, the former is about people and tools and culture. And so a lot of that is training people on things like Lean Startup. Here's how you run an experiment. Go talk to your customer. Figure out what, what their needs are, what their wants are. Um, empowering people to feel like they don't have to wait for an answer from above. You know, that's all culture. The best innovative companies have a culture that's just about togetherness and doing things and customer driven. The other, the latter, it looks more like venture capital. It's more portfolio theory. Let's place bets, a lot of small bets in different places because I can't predict the future, but portfolio theory works. Yeah. I, I want to talk about both of those things kind of individually. So, um, you know, one of the things is, that, as I described before, the, the strategy, the innovation strategy it depends on what you call it. Everyone calls it something different, but total innovation is sort of like the approach. It's a holistic approach to innovation where you look at the whole picture. Um, companies over the last 20 years that have been able to successfully practice that, whether you're big or small, have eight times return of the market over that period of time. Those that have accomplished the feat of not only having that process, but exercising, which you guys are a, a great testament to. You're well more than eight times the, the return on your investment in that. Um, I, I think that, to your point, there's an expectation that I have now turned down the innovation engine and I'm paying towards it. I've hired you, Ryan, and now where's my return? And it's not overnight. The very first piece of this is like setting up that actual strategy, how it's going to play for us. Then you've got to get all of your people across your organization to actually practice. They need to learn the processes and the tools that are success that will make them successful. You're not going to really come up with anything new or solve anything old that if you don't have the actual process and everyone on a kind of similar process because there's no feedback you can't you can't determine success and i think that's the thing that most companies fail miserably at is they sprinkle magic dust on it and they're like well i threw cash on it how come the fire's going out and it's like you didn't build the culture for innovation you didn't you didn't make everyone here feel like if they brought something up that they would be not rewarded but just literally like wow thank you good or bad yeah we, we are in a, every company's in a talent war right now and it's all about people i don't care how much cash you throw at it um if you're gonna reinvent a company if you're going to drive an innovative culture you bring in people that are, are leaders yeah. and that's what we, we were lucky to have that american family and those leaders brought in other leaders and and there was people in the company that came out of the woodwork to be a part of it's it's a movement right it is about people and talent uh, at the end of the day and i would say two things to the financial return on the one hand i think innovation you know whatever you whatever you're doing yep. should be a profitable exercise at some the, point, it the has difference to be, right? is the time horizon. Yeah. You know, it, it might not materialize year one, but you should hold those people accountable. And in fact, I've been in this long enough. It's one of the best returns profiles you can get in the company because yeah. there's so much opportunity. I think it's the best. It's I don't, the best. I don't know how there's our yeah. team's mission is to be the best use of capital at the company, and we're starting to see some of that come back. And we're in you know year three or year four of 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 kind of a repivot and a change. So. I do think there's a financial discipline that has to be applied, but you do have to have patience. It's a balance. And so a lot of, you're right, a lot of senior leaders don't see it right away um, or they don't bring in the right people um, and it ends up not being what they want. Or, or what they don't do is they don't provide a lot of direction on what the outcome. 
outcome should be. They just yeah. don't like what they see, but they can't actually tell you what they want. And so I think that's what I tell a lot of people is figure out a focus, figure out set in stone kind of what you're going to achieve over the next couple of years and then drive towards that because just tackling innovation is too big. It, yeah. it, te- it encompasses everything. It encompasses new technology and processes and tools and st- startups. And I, I, there's lots of ways to innovate. So you have to start with some focus um, and take one step and put it in front of the next. And then all of a sudden you'll, you'll be running. I think a lot of times there, there's a, I mean, it's funny. I, so I actually talked to Kyle Nakasuji from ClearCover was on the show shortly after he launched that. And I had met Kyle when he was still an American family. And we had this conversation. This is a good segue into the second part of this, of this question, uh, given that he was on the, the VC side of this. And to your point, I mean, it was literally like, why would we measure? And, and part of this, I think, goes to knowledge where you come from. If you're a C-level and you've always been there and you haven't really been, you know, you're not in this side of the business. Why you would give the anticipation of return on investment in this innovation, whatever the case it is on the same level as, you know, a marketing thing, a 12 month thing and not put it in the same perspective of you would as an investment. Cause it, it's an investment. This is a startup. It just happens to be in here. And, and we're not talking about starting businesses in our incubator at Amfam. We're talking about literally just making small incremental changes over time. Like it takes 10 years to see a big return on this stuff. And it, am I going to be able to sell my C-level folks on a 10-year investment? Probably not. But if I could sell them on a four-year, I think you set the expectation of like, we're first going to invest in ourselves, which we're going to see output is better performance on the job, better happiness, better a lot of things. So look at that as your first ROI. The next level of ROI is like, we're going to start solving our own problems. Instead of having to have consultancies come in and piss money away, we're going to be able to solve our own problems. That's your second investment. You'll see that in 2020. Our third Third investment is going to be as we start to be able to be more innovative and more flexible and agile. When we bring in companies we've acquired, they're going to play better with us and we'll get a bigger return on that. And then we're going to come up with something new. And in 2028, we're going to blow the doors off with this new thing. If you sell it that way, you pace it. I think you can see success. I think most companies that just are like, right now you're listening to the show, you're going to hear a random sound. This is me dropping this thing on. They just drop it in and there's no explanation. There's no guidance. It's just... Where's my return? I wish I would have talked to you five years ago. That's a, uh, if I would have had that roadmap. That's why I left the business that I was running. Because I could, I swear to God, I couldn't take it. I was, I was doing this with, lo- I mean, we were talking to Hearst Media and stuff, and they would say stuff. No, I'm not even, I don't even care about the name drop. I would sit there and talk to them, just bang my head against the wall. Because it's like, you don't want, like truthfully, a guy like you who's who I talked to who wanted this very badly. Everyone above them didn't want this. You don't want to be accountable for something that you can't affix a name and a number to and say, that was our return. It's very murky, and it's scary for most of them. And I think if less leadership truly believes in the, the cultural impact it'll have above and beyond return, I think you're gonna, it's, it's always going to be a half-assed approach to doing their job. Yeah, totally agree. And and I think, you know, our chief business development officer used to be our chief investment officer. Yep. So it's it's ironic or it's uncanny or whatever you want to say. It's, yep. It makes sense to me now in hindsight that Couldn't have that worked out mindset better. is the mindset you have to have. That, you know, the near-term bets, the core innovation, that should have a near-term payoff. But the stuff further out, it is like investing it is investing it isn't you're investing in you i mean that's what you're doing so let's segue with this because this is another i think really interesting topic um 
I want to talk learn more from your side, like what you guys are looking for and how you're trying to bolster what you have. But I want to say to the audience listening to this, like one of the things to me, this is the most, this is my most interesting thing. This is the one thing in all the business that Technori and myself have been involved in my entire career. This one piece is what I find to be like my, it's my muse. If you look at the most successful companies that are currently running the stock market, with the exception of Apple, which does acquire companies, but it's different the way it does it. Salesforce, as an example, just put $100 million into Zoom. Zoom is about to IPO. And Salesforce put $100 million into Zoom, knowing that it is a very illogical graduation of using their product line that you will probably ultimately end up on a Zoom conference trying to sell your product. They also own almost 25% of HubSpot, their number one competitor. The companies that are out there strategically looking to invest in the people around them, the startups that are trying to disrupt them, have a massive advantage because even if they do get disrupted, they're either in a better position to acquire merge or they still benefit on the profit end because it's a sale that I lost, but did I really lose it? I own a quarter of the company. Yeah, that, that we were just talking about that in the in the green room over there. Um, this this sort of next level mindset. I think a lot of big companies they want to control. Um, it's very hard to work with startups, right? Because you they, they they can squash them, and we see we we did that early on in our life cycle. I think we tried to put restrictions on uh, you know the operating arrangements, and we wanted to control the insurance vertical and do, you know, do certain things that would benefit us. But yep. people don't realize that running a startup, which is a company that's trying to get to scale, trying to find product market fit, and running a company at scale are two very different exercises. It's like lacrosse and basketball. They're different sports. And you, you can't layer those restrictions on. So that, that le- next level mindset is if we invest in this company, if we spin this out and we let it grow and let it mature and we treat it right and we and we have its best interest in mind um where do you think that's going to lead you know that's going to lead to a great long-term partnership that's going to lead to um equity in the company the possibility of buying that company in the future or not but insight into the market into what they're seeing that that is next level that you would never get as an outsider right so that our creation of amfam ventures and us really digging into the startup world and figuring out how it works and and investing in entrepreneurs and doing it in an entrepreneur-friendly way, I think has opened our mind to um, that that mindset, which is, you know, let's participate, be a good partner in this and play the long game. Because the the alternative is you restrict the company and it never gets out of that phase. We know the numbers on the failure rate from uh, C to A to B, they're not good, right? So your job should be to help them get through those gates faster, easier, um, and then you'll have optionality on the other end. It's, that's a hard mindset shift if you've been running a business at scale and you're used to buying companies and sort of controlling the, the environment, right? Um, that is a tough mind shift for people to make, I think. Well, it's like a it's like a big ocean liner in the ocean versus like me on a sailboat. Yeah. Like why, the sailboat's got to worry about like everything. Why do I need to worry like, about that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Until you don't. And then all of a sudden it's a problem. Right. But you no, know, and here's the thing. So I'll probably be called a traitor for this or something, but like I also think that the for for if you want massive success, and Kyle we talked about before when Clear Cover is a great example of this, you need to also make changes as a founder. You can't just go out there and say, Oh, I'm gonna disrupt everything and 
be damned with it. And yes, there are a few who have found success. The Travis Kellenics of the world have been able to just say F you to everybody and do it until they couldn't. But like they said it one too many times to the wrong person, and then they disappear. Um, that's actually, he did a lot of other stuff, but whatever. Bottom line is, there are a lot of companies that have a lot of potential success, but they don't make themselves capable of playing with big boys you guys talked about how you want to make sure that you also make it easy for startups to change the way you operate so that they can have success the startups have to do the same the founders have to understand that there are limitations and if they want to eventually become a scaled company they're going to have to implement certain strategies you can't just have a couple of overnight you know you can't have a dev shop create your product and have absolutely no support for it and then think oh yeah, I'm going to do business with AmFam. And AmFam goes, okay, cool. That's, yeah. yeah we're here's our data security agreement yeah. that's 50 pages long that you got to comply with. And here's our, you're right, it, working with enterprises, you have to respect the situation they're in, right? Yeah. We have 10 million customers. We have a, a serious uh, history and a reputation and a business that we're running and that we're protecting and we're growing. And yeah, the, those worlds are very different. The, the risk profile. Um, that's why experimentation is so easy when you're a startup because yep. you have no reputation, and so if it doesn't work out, no big deal, right? Fail fast and you move on. Yeah, no, it's, but it's it's so true. And I, I just I talk to startups and founders all the time about this, about how whether it's an exit strategy you had in mind or it's just simply like making sure that you are a, a business that can do business with big business, which you know, like the end of the day. You you got to make money. Like the point of this business is there's a reason that companies leave certain customers behind. It's proven over decades long to be not profitable. Now, maybe you figured out a, a software solution that can reduce the cost and you could actually serve a certain market. Or maybe, you know, AmFam has historically underserved this market because it hasn't proven out to be valuable, but I can find a way to serve that market and then become an acquisition target to you because you. I know, I did the math, I know that if you already have the infrastructure in place that I can give you my solution, there's something. But if you're not that strategic about it, I think you're you're sort of walking around blind, and if, if that's the case, don't be surprised if a, an AmFam or a larger company just kind of takes you know just moves moves you out of the way, which is totally you know, I think the case. Also, I would say um, big companies are waking up, yeah, and saying, "Wait a minute, sleeping giants, let's fight back, right? Let's let's um, let's do some of this ourselves." And um, and I think about American Family, where we look at build by partner as what's the right choice to make. These are tools in the toolbox. Um, what's the right choice to make? Um, and sometimes it's build, and sometimes it's partner, and sometimes it's it's buy. So it's becoming more competitive um, as big companies start to wake up and they start to f- figure out that they can change and that they can do some of this. So it's not it's a balance. I think the startups have to respect the you know the world that they're trying to disrupt, and the big companies have to respect that these startups have speed and agility and flexibility that is is very, very difficult to mimic. And, you know, we, our CEO often talks about the slide with legacy on one side and startup on the other. It's like that is the secret to innovation is how do you blend those things in a way to get the best of both of them? Yeah. And I think that's what we we're trying to do. I'm not going to say we're there yet, but I this last 10 years have just been phenomenal in terms of results and the culture and the growth of the company I think we, we've doubled we, in size in the last you know 91 year old company that's going to double in size in just the last 10 12 years which is incredible i was just going to say we started this podcast talking about the comparison with like fin, fintech and financial services so we'll end on the same note i don't know if it's a comparison but or a good i guess necessarily a direct comparison or it's a coincidence but 
the AmFam store over the last decade and a half reminds me of the 80s and early 90s into early 2000s of Wells Fargo. It was a company that had like done great things and been there forever and then figured out a way to leaps and bounds catch up to all of the major financial institutions in this country in this country and become a real player and and it's through innovation it was through great investments it was through through training uh, it was through keeping an open mind and I, I really do think that for those people out there who don't know American Family now, or it's not a company that they think of first when you talk about insurance, I have talked to a lot of the other insurance players in this city of Chicago, whether it's Allstate and State Farm and the rest of these people, and you guys do it differently. The, the conversations that I hear back channel from people like Davis on our team and people like Kyle who have worked there, it's done differently there. And I think that you guys, not that you need it for me or any of this is of any inf- affirmation, but... I think you guys are on a trajectory that could be really, really massive. Well, thanks, man. We got great leaders, and they're allowing us to, you know, preserve our culture and history, but break a little glass, try new things, um, and it's been a fun ride. I, uh, you got plenty of insurance, so you can break all. You can break anything you want. I think. <laughs> right there, you go. You guys are good for it. <laughs> um, last thing before I let you go, I just want to know, like, what what do you think is like the one thing that customers should know about AmFam before they they choose an insurance provider? Um. Yeah, I wish we. I wish people knew more about the social impact sort of mission of the company. I mean, we've always been a, a mutual, which means we answer to our policyholders, which means we take the long view and, and aren't short-term profit-driven. We've always given back to the community, and there's lots of examples. Uh, American Family Children's Hospital, um, but we've recently. Um, launched a um, social impact investment uh, fund called the Institute. Um, all those things, I think, you know, people want to do business, I think, today with companies that align with their view on the world. And I think um, we're, we're trying to do a better job of telling that story because I think we we don't do it enough. And American Family really cares about the community in a way that I haven't been with another company that quite um, embodies that. You know, yeah. people, a lot of people talk about it and, and give back in certain ways, but it's really deep in the organization. So I think the best you know, ones don't talk about it. That's the thing. Well, there you go. And, and I think insurance is going to change and I think you're going to see it become more efficient. Um, I think you're going to see insurance companies like American Family do more than just sell insurance. Yep. We're going to start to offer other risk mitigation tools to keep people safe. We talk about proactive protection. Let's not just wait till the bad things happen. Let's help fix them early. The, the, the cool thing. So I think, you know, Look up Amfam. Give it, give it a shot if you're if you're shopping. Um, and and thanks for having me on. You got Shaq Diesel as a spokesperson. I'm I'm down. Pretty 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 tight. That's awesome. I'm down. So uh, Ryan, thank you so much for for coming on. Obviously, people can check out American Family. Do you have a personal social anything you you contribute anywhere? Or are you just keeping a low low profile out there low profile man. low profile i wish i'm very jealous of <laughs> of your ability to keep a low profile uh to learn more about upcoming technology events investment opportunities check out our blog at technology.com sign up for the newsletter it's a good one you get to find out companies you can invest in for as little as ten dollars which is sweet download the podcast on spotify or itunes follow us on social at technology or follow me at katoon boom that's a wrap